Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Many of you would remember way, way back in May of 1954, Roger Bannister became the first man to run the mile, as they called it in those days, not kilometers, the mile in under four minutes. It was a revolutionary breakthrough. Remember that? And then people started attempting to do it after him. But it's amazing, within two months, a man called John Landy eclipsed the record by 1.4 seconds, which was quite remarkable. It's amazing when someone does something, it's your incentive to get your breakthrough. That's why you need to hear stories of faith because it will help you. Oh, if, that, if, if God did that, well, shoot, I can. And you can get victory in your life. Anyway, on the 7th of August, you know, in, in May he broke it, but in, in, in August, on the 7th, 1954, the two met, John Landy and Roger Bannister met for a historic race. And on the last lap, we expected John Landy was in the lead. But while he was running, he kept wondering to himself, where is Bannister? <laughs> I think it would, would be the same for us, eh? How far behind me is he? And he made a fatal mistake. He turned to look over his shoulder. And as he did, Bannister took the lead. When they interviewed John Landy after he lost that race, he told a Time magazine reporter, if I hadn't looked back, I would have won. You know, there's a truth there that we can learn from. Looking back is dangerous. It can cause you to lose. There's a baseball player in America, Satchel Paige, and he once said, don't look back. They might be gaining on you. <laughs> you know, we need to keep looking forward. I, I believe at the beginning of this year, and I felt such an urgency over two weeks ago, I started preparing to speak on this, I want to speak to you today, and I've entitled the message, Stop Looking Over Your Shoulder. Stop looking over your shoulder. You cannot run well by looking backwards. You cannot make good progress by looking over your shoulder. The only time we should look back is to see how far we've come. Can you say amen? And several people have said, don't look back. You're not going that way. Isn't that the truth? And you can glance over your shoulder every now and then, look at your past, look at what other people are doing. Every moment wasted looking back stops us from moving forward. How many would agree with that? They say when the past calls, let it go to voicemail. And we can't start the next chapter of our lives if we keep rereading the last one. When a thing's done, it's done. Steve Jobs, who was incredibly creative and forward-thinking, forward-looking, he said this, if you want to live your life in a creative way as an artist, you have to not look back too much. You have to be willing to take whatever you've done and whoever you were and throw them away. I believe the beginning of a new year is we need to celebrate victories, but we need to begin to look forward and not even glance over our shoulders at what could have been, what should have been, or at our failures and mistakes. I'm going to give you six how-tos today on how to stop looking back over your shoulder. Number one, run your own race and don't blame or compare. 
So easy to blame others for, you know, losing the race. Compare yourself to others. I wonder where Bannister is. That'll stop you from running your own race. Brene Brown, she wrote a book called Atlas of the Heart, and she writes about how she loves swimming, lane swimming, you know, with the, the little bubbles in the pool, and you swim in your lane. And she says she, she, she loves it until she notices someone in the next lane. Then she finds herself wondering, am I catching up to them? Is my stroke as good as theirs? And she says she's made up her mind. In her book, she says this, my new strategy is to look at the person in the lane next to me and say to myself, as if I'm talking to them, have a great swim. So far, she says, it's working pretty well. I think we need to let other people do what they do, and we need to run our race for God. And if they overtake us, so be it. If they're behind us, so be it. Let's not look over our shoulder. Let's run the race he has set before us. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews, as we know so well, encourages us in Hebrews 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of, crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. So you've got a race to run. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Don't compare, don't get distracted, don't look over your shoulder, keep looking to Jesus, keep running, and you will make good progress in 2024. This is not a year to look back, it's not a year to look over our shoulders. And it's so easy to look at what God is doing for someone else or especially what God has given someone else. You say, well, I can't help it. Even the disciples struggled with what God was doing amongst other disciples. You know, God had a different plan for Peter than he had for John, that he had for, for James. He, he chose them, but they each had a different destiny. And when we sit in church and compare ourselves, how come they've got a business and they managed? See the car they bought, I bet you they. And we start to judge them. Or we condemn ourselves, you know, it's because I said that to my wife, or it's because I'm struggling with that sin, or because I haven't prayed for a while, and we get the wrong thing. Just keep running your race. Don't compare, don't get distracted. Peter got distracted, and Jesus said to him in John's gospel, many of you would know this very well, but again, to remind you, Jesus says very truly, speaking to Peter, I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead, lead you where you do not want to go. Sounds like a retirement home. <laughs> People like me get nervous when we read this stuff. <laughs> Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. But here's the, here's the thing. Peter turned. In other words, he looked over his shoulder and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, was following them. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. See, you can compare your bad with someone else's good. Doesn't make sense. Sometimes you can be seeing the tip of someone's iceberg. You don't know what's under the surface. And uh, comparis comparison is the death of your peace and the death of your well-being, because it will eat away at you. 
Billy Graham's daughter has said a lot of wonderful things, Anne Graham Lotz, and she says this about Abraham, which is a reminder to us. She says, Abraham wasn't perfect. He failed, made mistakes, but he would go back, get right with God, and then just keep moving forward. He didn't quit when things got hard. He just kept on going, and everywhere he went, God was there. God was with him. So don't compare, run your own race. Don't keep looking over your shoulder at what God is doing or giving others. Number two, we can't live in the past, notice this, and be fully alive. What do I mean by being fully alive? I'll explain in a moment. You cannot live in the past and be fully alive. You will be half there and half here. People who live in the past have got one foot in, the, in, 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 in dead things and one foot in live things. It's good for us to celebrate our successes, but not to camp there. Isn't that true? It's right to pause and thank God for a good year or a good five years to celebrate, but we cannot be content with where we've come from. We have to be content with where we're going. And especially as Rivers Church, we can never rest on our laurels and say, look how big we are. Have you been to our new building? No, we have to keep planting. We have to keep reaching without putting you under stress and, 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 and you know, squeezing you financially. We have to just keep doing what we're doing with a forward look. And you'll see God will give birth to new things. There was once only one little campus on the corner of South Road where 70 people met. Then it went to four services. We thought we died and gone to heaven when we reached 1,000 people. Can you believe it? From 70 people, we have 1,000 people in church. And people like the Sings came along and sat in the meetings and helped build the house. And look where we are today. You think, there are five campuses. <laughs> Wonderful. And Cape Town is on the cards. Might be at the bottom of the pack right now before you think we've shuffled the aces to the top. But our minds are on the future, people's needs. Not, we're not ambitious so you can brag about how big we are. Who needs us? Who's been asking for us? Can we meet that need? The, the, the late Robert Schuller said that the best way for a church to grow is find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. And that's what we do. Find needs, meet them, change the service times. Why? We saw a need. We want to meet it. Amen? And so we need to not camp with old victories. We thank God for the, the things he's done through us all. But we must look to the future and don't talk about the good old days. It's a bad thing. The Bible tells us not to do that. We need to keep looking forward. Neil Patel, he co-wrote a book called Hustle. Many of you would have read it. It's a New York bestseller. He says, don't look back and ask why. Look ahead and ask why not. Amen? And we need to keep moving forward. Otherwise, we won't be fully alive. Now, my point is this. If we study Scripture, the famous story comes to mind of people who got stuck because they looked over their shoulder. In Genesis chapter 19, the Lord wants to rescue Lot and his family, bring them into new things, free them from sin and, and, and perversion and corruption. And so angels are sent to bring them out. What a grace of God. What a privilege to be selected to be rescued. And uh, they have to persuade them to go into God's future. I, I don't know if you're one of those that God's got to persuade you to go into the future. It's time for you to grab a hold of God's hand and go with, because he's calling you on. The Bible says you when they went to Lot's family, 
reading from verse 16 of chapter 19, when Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. God was now going to destroy the cities. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back. Look at your neighbor and say, don't look back. And here's also, or stop anywhere in the valley. I've noticed that we tend to stop when we're in a valley. We start the year, amen, hallelujah, full of new year, and then we hit a valley. When you stop, the next thing you do is look back. We mustn't look back or stop. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him and she turned into a pillar of salt. You see, you can't be fully alive if you keep looking back. Eventually, you will be immobilized. And she looked back. Why did she look back? Did she look back to friends? Did she look back to dinner parties? Did she look back to breakfasts with champagne with friends on a Saturday at Tasha's? I don't know. But she looked over her shoulder. Here's the thing. The angel of the Lord had brought them out. The minute he let them go, they went back. Or she went back. We need to keep our hands on God. Keep our hands on the Holy Spirit, as it were. And go with God and not look back. Not let go and allow the valleys to draw us back. You will be immobilized and you will not be fully alive if you keep looking back. Elie Wiesel, who went through lots of hardship, he was a Holocaust survivor from Auschwitz, uh, was given a Nobel Peace Prize. He only went to Auschwitz when he was 15, and he's written extensively about his horrible experiences, and yet he was able to move forward. He says this, he says, I still have questions for God. In other words, when I remember my life, I still have questions for God, and I still have problems with God, absolutely, but it is within faith, not outside faith, and surely not opposed to faith. So you can still have questions about why and what happened, but he's moving ahead in faith. It hasn't stopped him in his tracks and stopped him from living. Number three, are you still with me this morning? We can't look back and make good progress. You can never make good progress looking back. Have you ever tried walking looking back? You'll end up walking into a pole. If you keep walking, looking back, you walk into a pole, or you'll fall into a hole. Have you seen some of those clips you get on Instagram? People are walking, there they go, down a hole, and they climb out later and come out like, because they were either on their phones or they were looking back. Isn't that true? You've got to look forward if you want to make progress. It's a simple principle. Maxwell Maltz, the, he was an American cosmetic surgeon, but he understand human beings, wrote a book uh, uh, called Psycho-Cybernetics, not greatly in favor of the book. It leans towards psychology, but he said some interesting things. So I'll quote him within the context of his end. I'm not saying he's a Christian, and he's not speaking to us and giving us biblical advice. But he said this, and I think it's true. He says, man maintains his balance, poise, and sense of security only as he's moving forward. In other words, human beings have been designed to move forward. God hasn't designed us to, some of us in the shopping centers aren't walking backwards. Hi, how's it? 
No, we're designed to move forward and our natural poise and balance. It's true spiritually, it's true naturally, it's true physically. You're at your best when you're moving forward, not backwards. And you maintain your balance. Have you noticed that if you go home today in your car, it's got a large windscreen and a small rear view mirror? Because where you're going is more important than what you've left behind. You occasionally glance in the rearview mirror and go, oh, no, someone coming, oh, someone hogging me. Oh. But your direction, if you try to drive with a rearview mirror, you'd be driving at this speed. True. And some of you drive at that speed anyway, but that's, <laughs> that's another matter. You see, what this rearview mirror and windscreen teaches us is that our future is more important than our past. And you don't make good progress if you keep looking back. It just doesn't work. Henry Ward Beecher, the uh, American pastor, he was opposed to slavery, said some wonderful things. He said, too much looking backwards is bad for progress. In fact, God had to tell Israel that repeatedly, that they shouldn't look back. You know these verses so well, Isaiah 43 and verse 18. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. I'd like to suggest do not dwell in the past. God speaking to them, Literally, don't look back. Don't look over your shoulder. Make a conscious effort to look forward. C.S. Lewis reminds us, there are far, far better things ahead than any we leave behind. And in Isaiah 42 and verse 9, the Lord says again, see the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Are you expectant and are you listening for new things? or you're only hearing the sounds of the past. We must move forward, and we need to hear God and have expectation. There's so many amazing stories about people who got stuck in the past. Those of you that grew up in the era I grew up, we read Charles Dickens, and it really was good for me, stimulated my mind when I was in school, boarding school, reading books, and uh, his book, Great Expectations, is very interesting. In there is a very sad character that many of you would have heard of called Miss Havisham. And she was jilted, wealthy woman, but she was jilted at the altar. Her husband never pitched up. And as a result of that, she ended up living in the past. She kept the wedding dress on, the wedding cake, all the celebrations and cobwebs developed, and she became a prisoner of her past. The clocks in her house stopped, and there she was living in that moment of rejection instead of getting up, taking off those clothes, even eating the cake and moving forward. Amen? And we need to know how to do that instead of looking back. I was reading that in 2022, a girl in the UK by the name of Kaylee Steed, she went viral on TikTok because she had a fiance who didn't show up at the wedding. The reception was done, everything. This 27-year-old with all her friends are there. She decides, I'm going ahead with the reception anyway. So her and her friends danced, partied, ate the food, ate the cake without him there, and just really enjoyed it. She said she's going to enjoy it, even though it's cost her her life savings, because she didn't have a family who paid for the wedding. And she said, I just wanted to show myself that even though I technically, technically didn't get what I wanted, I'm still hopefully going to get my happily ever after just in a different way. She knew how to move forward. She knew how to move forward and not look over her shoulder. Do we know how to do that today? Number four of six, don't remain a prisoner to the mistakes and sins of your past. 
We don't have to continually feel guilty because of something we did last year or even last night. God in Christ has forgiven us. And what we need to do always is to confess our sins. Don't forget that. And to bring them to the Lord. The Bible teaches us that, that we mustn't hold on to our sin. We must confess it. It will affect our physical bodies. It will affect us emotionally. It will drag us backwards. We confess our sins, and then we say, thank you, Lord, for a new beginning. Thank you, Lord, for a new day. You need to practice that every day. And no matter where you fail or how you fail, you need to move forward. Think of the Apostle Paul, and we know so well that when we study Scripture, that he was called Saul before he was called Paul. He was a persecutor of the church. He wasn't just a persecutor, he was a murderer. Anyone, uh, maybe I shouldn't ask for a show, to say anyone murdered in the room, maybe six people put their hands up, we'll all be like, shh, can I move my seat? But Paul was a murderer. I don't think there are murderers in the room, maybe one or two, and we've had murderers in our church, people that have killed others by, by mistake in a fit of rage or by accident. Here's the thing. God was able to give him a new beginning. He didn't keep saying all the time, I'm a murderer, I'm not worthy. He actually preached about walking in God's grace. And he made a new beginning, isn't that true? As one of the greatest, he was standing there when Stephen was stoned, the Bible says, and consenting to it. But God turned him around and he was able to get over the mistakes and sins of his past. In fact, Philippians 3, we often quote this at the beginning of a year. I'm quoting from God's Word translation. Brothers and sisters, he says, I can't consider myself a winner yet. This is what I do. I don't look back. See, failure makes you look back. He says, I lengthen my stride and I run straight towards the goal to win the prize that, God, that God's heavenly call offers in Christ Jesus. We have to know how to confess and embrace a new beginning, especially at the beginning of a new year. Don't look over your shoulder don't look back at the mistakes of your past. Terry Blackstock is a, an American Christian author. He said there's nothing heavier than the weight of sin in our lives. It's crushing. What a luxury to know the burden of it can be lifted off our shoulders if we repent and give it to God. Do you know what's sometimes easier to do? It's easier to forgive yourself, but a lot of us, we don't know how to forgive others. I remember, when, uh, we've been through a lot of church hurt, pastoring churches that were split, several churches, including this one. We were sent here, people were nasty. There were lots of difficulties. We, we've been through a lot of that. And you can tend to, you know, it does shape you and, and does teach you things, but you've got to stop talking about it. And if you do remember it, you mustn't remember it with the same pain. We've got to forgive ourselves, but we've also got to forgive others. As Jesus said on the cross, they know not what they do, and we hold it against people, and we've got to let go of things, and they say it's one of the biggest issues in the life of a Christian, not knowing how to forgive others, and we keep looking back to those who hurt us, and it causes serious emotional problems. A man called David Siemens wrote a book called Healing for Damaged Emotions, and if you've got damaged emotions, I'd encourage you to read his book. He says here, many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among Christians are these. The failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness. That's the one aspect. And the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. Can't keep looking back and dredging it up. Can I encourage you, if you're a married couple, 
family members, brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's not look back to words that were spoken. Let's move forward. Hmm? Let's not look back to actions that hurt us or frustrated us. Let's not look back to defeats where other people hurt us and we were defeated by it. Let's not look back to our own mistakes or others' mistakes. Let's move forward. Let's be kind to one another, forgiving one another in Christ, as the Bible teaches in the book of Ephesians. A great future. A great future beats a bad past every time. Number five. Are you still with me? Is this helping anyone today? Looking back affects our commitments. It's no good that you get married and then you keep talking about your student days when you were at res and you could go partying. We're talking about the unchurched now, not church day. Oh, I remember when I could just, you know, and then we used to sleep till 11 o'clock, you know. Now I've got to take the kids shopping and I've got to mow the lawn. I've got to wash dishes as well. And it's not a man's job. You can't reminisce. You can't reminisce about how rivers used to be. I remember when we had two services and you could serve once at one. And you could go home at 11 o'clock. Now we had a handful of people in there. And you might get one or two decisions in a meeting. Now we have thousands. We chock a block. We can't drive in or out easily. People don't know you. The pastors might not get to greet you for months, even though they're in the foyer. But man, are people getting saved and baptized. Your commitment will be affected. And you know what? I believe that God is calling many people in this church into ministry. At the beginning of this year, again, we've got two interns who've made themselves available to give a year of their lives serving, to see whether God's call is on their lives, because it's a very big thing when you come into full-time ministry. But if you are unsure and you keep, you know, I used to work there, you know, and I wonder if I would have been, your so-and-so was made head of the department. It's because I left if I was. Stop looking back. You've come now. You're going to serve God. Amen? And Jesus speaks about this because we, it's sometimes we're like, we want both, eh? I want to do this and I want to do that. And he talks about this, this double-mindedness, this looking over our shoulder in Luke chapter 9. Now, many of us know this, but it's good to bring this through at the beginning of the year. The Bible says as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, that's to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, are you sure, he's saying? Are you sure? He doesn't say, oh, great, wonderful, come, come out, come to my house. He's not unaware of the double-mindedness of our hearts and how easily we look over our shoulders. Isn't that true? The Bible goes on to say, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. I've preached this for years. How can you say, Lord, let me first. It's like saying, your honor, let me first. O king, let me first. The two do not go together. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. When he's Lord, we're committed. Can't put let me first in there. No, no, when he's Lord, he's first. Can you say amen if you're a volunteer today? 
You've got to get away from the world's view of abusive volunteers. And can I say, if anyone in any department or any staff member abuses you or treats you badly or treats you roughshod or, or, or even dares, but God forbid, sexually touches you in a private you come and tell us. But overall, we all have our eyes here on Jesus. It's not about free labor. It's about the kingdom. Can you say amen? And he says here, he goes on to say, uh, in verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, here's the crux, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Why? 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 Because here's the thing, if you know anything about plowing, if you, see, you see there's a plow here. It's not a wooden plow. We try to get a wooden plow. We couldn't find a wooden plow. Can you believe it? But a plow is a very important thing. It digs up ground so you can plant seed. So, so hold this for me and come near my mouth. Thank you. Those of you who can see, stand away so they can all see. This is, this is a plow. Anyone seen a plow? This is where you get your food from. You attach this to a tractor, this one, but you attach it to a horse. Now, why can't you plow looking back? Or looking back, yeah, there's the mic. Firstly, you, you go all over the place. But here's the most important. When you look back, you tend to not apply pressure. Because this needs pressure at the back. So this thing can go into the ground and dig a proper furrow. But when you keep looking back, you lift your hands off because your body is positioned backwards. But when you, are, when you lean in, you put pressure on and you dig a straight, deep furrow. Thank you. Are you with me? And that's why we can't serve God because we have to lean in and we have to apply pressure. We can't have, oh, I'll see if I'll be on the roster. I just want to see what the weekend looks like. You've got to lean in. And then your friends will tell you, they're abusing you. Are you, you, are you serving in two services? Yes, I'm leaning in because I'm digging deep furrows. You'll never accomplish anything deep for God You'll never fulfill the call of God that he has on your life if you don't lean in and apply pressure. Are you with me? I love what Abraham Lincoln says. He said, I walk slowly, but I never walk backward. Maybe the call of God's come to you. Don't rush into it. Maybe you want to volunteer. Start small, but don't go backwards. And don't give your all and then turn back. It's not the way we serve the kingdom. Number six, this is my last point, but I want to make this point well. Looking back stops us from discovering our potential. You see, when you look back, you're looking at what you were or what you are, not what you can become. And God still has a future for you and wants to do wonderful things with you. Many people discover that late in life because they're so focused on their hurts. You may have heard of a man called Peter Roger. He had a sad life and lots of issues and hurts in his life and his life was filled with anxiety, and he went right through his life dealing with it. And you know how he dealt with it? He used to go home at night, and he used to write lists of words down. It was like cathartic for him. Some people swear. Other people go for a run. Others watch TV. Others punch, punch walls. He wrote lists of words. And he did this 
when he finally ended his scientific and medical career at 69 years old, he decided that he would use these lists because there were pages and pages and pages of them in a useful way. And that's where we get what's called Roger's Thesaurus from. He compiled the book that people use to write books. They use it for study of English language. And it became a useful work after four years of intensive collection. And he finished it when he was 73 years old. Do you know it sold over 40 million copies? And it contains in the last edition now, since he's been dead a long time, 443,000 words. See, here's the thing. Looking ahead, he unpacked his potential. He didn't get to the end and say, oh, all this useless paper. Man, I've had a tough life. Well, at least I'm retired. No, 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 no. You never know what the next season holds. Hmm? I'm excited at my age. What the next season holds. What can God still do? Hmm? Or are we going to commiserate? Oh, you know, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. No. Want to move forward into all our potential. I love what uh, uh, Buckminster Fuller, he was an American architect, very interesting man, designed some amazing structures. And uh, he, he, in speaking about the past being very different to the future, he says this. He says, there's nothing in a caterpillar that tells you it's going to be a butterfly. You look at a caterpillar, it's like, (laughs) you want to fly. Come soar with me in 2024. (laughs) If you keep looking at your tail as a caterpillar, you will never fly. It's got to break through. It's got to push through the front, isn't that where it is? And it's got to eventually come out. And and you've got to see things you've never seen. You've got to be who you've never been. And you've got to trust God. The architect Frank Lloyd Wright, one of the best architects the world has known, American architect, he designed the Guggenheim Museum of Modern Art in New York City when he was 76 years old. I've been to visit it. Remarkable building pictures don't always do it justice. And he worked from 76 until he was 92 on that building. But when the plans were first unveiled, uh, here's, here's the thing. He had already had a 70-year career, been designing since he was like a little boy. And his career was, was, was pretty well established. And he had built over a th- uh, designed over 1,000 structures. Some of them became world famous. And when he designed this building, he didn't look back at what he'd done before and say, this is what they want from me. He designed this completely new concept, this, this art museum with curved walls. And the critics attacked the design. They compared it to a washing machine. Uh, they called it an inverted oatmeal bowl or an oversized and indigestible hot cross bun. And many thought that curved walls were not appropriate to hang art on. So they started writing to artists, and 21 artists got together and put a petition together and said, you can't build this, and spoke to the the people who were financing it. But anyway, they didn't listen, and this building was built, and the Guggenheim Museum is a New York City landmark. It was named a landmark, one of the youngest buildings at 31 years old to be named a New York City landmark. Isn't that interesting? And it also became one of the youngest to be designated a National Historical Landmark in 2008, uh, when it was only 49 years old, and it was likely the most creative thing that Frank Lloyd Wright had ever done. Why? Because he was looking forward, not looking over his shoulder at what he had done already. Some of you, you've done amazing things, but it's time to look ahead, and not to refer back, but to believe God for the best is yet to come. 
I love what he said, and it's great inspiration to me. He said this when he was quite old. He said, uh, the longer I live, the more beautiful life becomes. Do you know, for some older people, the longer they live, the worse life becomes. Oh, I've got arthritis now, and, you know, I can't pick up stuff like I used to, and the kids don't come around, you know, but their own lives now, you know. Yes, that's why you had kids, so they would be grown up and leave home. What do you want, some big nest where all the eggs have hatched and they all live there? The tree will fall down. Let them go. I encourage you parents, hand over, hands off. You need to think about the future. George Burns said this, and I'll move to a close. I want to tell you a story as I close here. But George Burns says, and I love this, you know, the comic actor. He says, I look to the future because that is where I'm going to spend the rest of my life. I want to ask you this morning, where are you going to spend the rest of your life? Is it in the past, looking over your shoulder, or is it in the future? I told this story in 2018, and I'll close with it. It'll take me a few minutes. It's an amazing story, and it's told in a book, uh, In the Eye of the Storm by Max Lucado. I think I told it in 2018, but I think it bears repeating. And it's the story of a lady called Sarah Winchester. Winchester. And uh, she inherited in the 1800s $20 million as well as $1,000 a day to live on. Mega money. But although she was famous, she was a socialite, colleges would write letters to her, presidents knew her, she was a socialite of note. She was extremely wealthy but extremely miserable. And uh, she took her money and she commissioned 16 carpenters uh, to work on a building. She bought a house. It was eight, eight uh, rooms at the time on 160 acres, I think it was. And she got these people to work on this house for 38 years. They worked on this house. And uh, uh, the, 24 hours a day, by the way. And the design was quite macabre, you know. Everything was numbered 13. It had, each window had 13 panes. I don't know if you know 13 is the number of sin. But each wall had 13 panels and each closet had 13 hooks and each chandelier had 13 globes. And the floor plan was very weird and corridors went here and there. And one corridor you walked along, you opened a door and there was a 15 meter drop outside. One, one staircase went up and it hit the ceiling, it went nowhere. And she built this house, listen, it, it, it ended up over six acres, had six kitchens, 13 bathrooms, 40 stairways, 47 fireplaces, 52 skylights, 467 doors, 10,000 windows, and 160 rooms, and then it had a bell tower. And every night a servant would go into the bell tower and would ring the bell at two o'clock in the morning, ding, ding, and then Sarah Winchester would come out in her clothes and walk down the hall and go to what was called the blue room. And in the blue room, she would meet with the spirits of people that were dead, dead cowboys, dead Civil War people, dead Indians that they had killed because her husband, now dead, and her daughter dead, had uh, been the family that invented the Winchester repeating rifle. And that's how they'd got rich. And so she lived looking over her shoulders, meeting with the dead in the blue room, the graves opened up as it were, and the dead met there, the legend says, and then after an hour or so, Sarah Winchester would come down, the servant would switch the lights off, blow out the candles, as it were, and then go back, she would go back to bed. And she lived in this house, looking back at the dead with regret, instead of enjoying all that money, getting married again, moving forward and living a new life. You can go to California and visit this house today, it is like a 
tourist attraction, but it is a memorial, um, Max Lucado says. And he says here that she spent her remaining years in a castle of regret, providing a home for the dead. You can see what unresolved guilt can do to a human being. And you don't have to go to the Winchester mansion. People are living lives imprisoned by yesterday's guilt in our own city. There are hearts haunted by failure that are in our own suburbs. It's a guilt that kills and a sorrow that's fatal. He says, how many Sarah Winchesters do you know? How far do you have to go to find a soul haunted by the ghosts of the past? Not very far. And then he ends and he says, maybe Sarah's story is your story. I think it's time to stop looking back, visiting the past. Let's look forward. Let's live our lives fully. Let's not compare. Let's run our own race. And let's unlock our potential in 2024. Can you say amen this morning? Look at your neighbor and say this, don't look over your shoulder. Let's lean in and let's plow deep for the Lord in 2024. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 